Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from CityCo, and we're in the lovely Malmaison Hotel in Manchester in their new work and play unit, a little glass pod with the air conditioning going in the background because it was about 26 degrees when I walked in, which for a, a cold autumnal day uh, is, is still too hot. Uh, appropriately, we're back talking about restaurants for the third time of asking, I believe. So we're going to try and find something new to say. Uh, I say we, but I'm relying here on my guests because obviously I never go out anywhere. I'm joined again by Tom Hetherington, founder of the Northern Restaurant and Bar Show, the Northern Hospitality Awards and Man About Glossop, and Ruth Allen, editor of Manchester Wire website, writer of the Time Out Guide to the City and reviewer of restaurants the city over. Uh, It is Halloween, so we should be giving ourselves ghoulish names, but that won't really work uh, because it won't go out for two weeks and then you'll all be tired of Halloween and it'll be really boring. Uh, However... Can we start with the uh, the first general question? Um, how's the city's F&B scene doing? Uh, and what, over the last six months, year, have been the openings of most excited you and what's been a little bit of a letdown? To start with you, Ruth. Because uh, you've got printed notes, <laughs> as has been pointed out. Yes. Which is cheating, I think, but, in the world no, of podcasts. No, actually, in, in eight-point type, I think. So, I, uh, <laughs> your eyesight's better than mine. <laughs> I was just looking at them and thinking, I can't actually read any of it. Um, I've put my face very close to the page. No, they're just to remind me of the places that have opened, because actually an awful lot of places have opened this year, surprisingly. Um, I just kind of scrolled back through uh, the website and articles that I've written and so on. And I suppose the best and most exciting openings of the year um uh, obviously today's a day which you know there's been some closures announced but just to think about the openings um canto i think is probably one of the biggest um which is a new restaurant from el gato negro team um and simon shaw and he's teamed up with a portuguese chef to bring not the city's first Portuguese restaurant, because there was one in Chalton, which I reviewed a while ago. And there was Lusso. And there was also Lusso, uh, On yeah. Bridge Street as well. Yeah, of course. I yeah. forgot about Lusso. It was good fun back it in the day. It was great, though. yeah. Um, so Canto is probably the most, well, it seems to be the most kind of bedded in, the most kind of, I don't know, but likely to succeed. It seems to be offering something different and it's following a bit of the kind of small plates formula over from El Gato. Um, They've got a good team as well. I mean, the El Gato team are fantastic operators and then the the chef and the, the lady who runs the front of the house, the couple are ex-Barafina as well, which is quite a pedigree, you know, because that, that is a phenomenal restaurant. Yeah, I mean, the, the chef, I can't remember his name. Uh, is it Carlos? Yeah, because so, so, he was Barafina and then yeah. he went to El Gato. Exactly. Um, so that is a really amazing pedigree and It's a coup for the city, I think. Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And what he's doing is nothing too complicated, just really enjoyable small plates. I'm trying to think of some highlights. I think I had polenta and egg. You know, like, you know, it's not going to blow your mind, but it's a really enjoyable kind of cultural experience. Yeah, they've got the uh, pasteas donata as well, which are worth trekking all the way to Ancoats for just for those little (laughs) Portuguese tarts. They're absolutely brilliant they make them fresh every day yeah i think they're great and other places i suppose that are that have opened this year i think the creameries open this year creameries is great i really mm-hmm. like the creameries and yeah, yeah i'd agree that's this year definitely and it seems to be kind of coming into its own now people are recognizing what they're doing which is cooking from scratch every day with interesting ingredients it's really clever really interesting cooking i mean I, I really enjoyed it i only got there for the first time 
relatively recently. I don't make it out to the suburbs as, as much as I should. And I was actually blown away by it. I thought the food was um, fantastic. The service was great. Mary Ellen wasn't there that night. So it was her brigade, her team delivering it. And it was it was fantastic. Yeah, she's also got Izzy from um, Seasons Eatings in the kitchen who worked with her at Manchester Art Gallery Cafe as well. And I think they're a really tight unit and I think they're doing really good stuff together. They've both got the same kind of ethos. Um, so that's exciting. Um, a place that isn't, I suppose, necessarily a restaurant, um, but is an exciting new venue is Yes, which is um, a really four-story. Yeah, it's so much fun. I went on Friday to see Mike Skinner from the streets with um, some friends. Was he in the, the pink room, the venue <laughs> on the first floor? From what I remember, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they have uh, Negroni on, on, they have their own kegged Negroni. Aged Negroni, yeah. Yeah, which I think is a wonderful idea. They do great beer. They did, they've got the um, Firebird Hope I was going to say, my favourite thing about Yes is they provided a permanent home for, for Dan Hope and Firebird Hope, which is literally the best chicken sandwich you will ever eat in your life. And I know people use the word literally too often, but it's true in this sense. It is literally the best chicken sandwich you'll ever have. Yeah, so I think Yes is really, just a really exciting addition. I mean, I hope it doesn't push out our old favourites like the Deaf Institute and so on which I think it's kind of probably in competition with but hopefully there's room for enough of that you know casual dining and fun bar action along the Oxford Road corridor Definitely. Um, who, who owns yes who's running yes yes I believe is backed well I'll, I'll let you say there's, um, I, I can't name names uh, not for confidentiality I just can't remember them um, two of them are people who are involved in the music industry in Manchester and have a real pedigree there and then the two guys who have got the F&B operation background they've come from Leeds they do the Belgrave Music Hall Ox Club Hedrow House various other places over there really really good operators great guys yeah I think the three owners in Manchester it's a couple for, the two guys from Now Wave who are music promoters That's and then it's Ruth Hemingfield who was at, at Trough, yes. then at Ban on the Wall, and so has a great history in booking bands and just running venues. So I think it's a, hopefully it's a great, exciting independent. Um, we've got loads more. I've got Sugo, 20 Stories, Manor. Don't, don't steal Tom's thunder. Because <laughs> you already have. Keep going. <laughs> Tom, best <laughs> openings of the year so far. I, I, I think where, um, where you haven't been stolen. I, I think we could literally fill the whole podcast just by talking about the best openings of the year in Ancoats. Uh, the way that area has, has kicked on has just been absolutely incredible. Um, Sugo has opened there, which is fantastic. Uh, pasta restaurant. It was always a nightmare to get to when it was in Altrincham, and when you got there, you couldn't get through the door so I'm quite glad that we we now have that here in the city centre. Uh, obviously Mana has just opened as well which I've not yet made it to. Uh, the art fair kind of got in the way of that but I'm, I'm going to be through the doors pretty quickly. Um, I think Hip Hop Chip Shop are opening there. Trove have already opened they as well. Opened. Obviously Pollen Bakery opened up there. Jane Eyre opened a really nice cocktail bar which looks absolutely fantastic. I was there on Friday. It was great. Uh, there you go. That is the badge of <laughs> honour. Before Ruth, or after, yeah. Before. Ruth, Ruth <laughs> Allen was there on Friday. Ruth <laughs> Allen was everywhere on Friday. That's uh, true. Viet Shack have um, opened their first space outside of the Arndale Market. That's a that's a great place with kind of contemporary Vietnamese food uh, just on Great Ancoat Street. The, the list goes on. I mean, there are so many great openings there. Um, and the other one for me, or the other two, I would say are Tast which is uh, a really interesting opening, huge ambitions for that place. And there's, there's a lot to love about it. Um, and 20 stories, Ruth, you mentioned, you, you can't ignore that, the scale of the place and, and that, 
USP of having that view and that outdoor space right up in the sky is just incredible. And there is no other place where if I bring people to Manchester from out of town and I kind of want to impress them and show off a bit, I take them to 20 stories every single time because when they stand up there and see the city spread out before them, it's pretty impressive. You know, it really blows people away. And I don't think any other city outside of London has got a space like that at that sort of height. Yeah, I, th I think it's amazing. I think for me, just moving on to ones that ha haven't quite fulfilled expectations, um, the one that I, I'm not in love with is The Anthologist. Um, it, the food I, I didn't enjoy, it, it looks great. It's a Drake and Morgan bar, chain bar, but I think it's symptomatic of this kind of chain formula being rolled out and that's maybe being a bit tired of that idea of just getting the same kind of quality burger, but no kind of soul or vision behind it. Um, and just the food was really average when I went to the point of I didn't eat it. <laughs> so... Um, and for That's me as well, dumbing. Tast ha Tast didn't quite shine in my eyes. I, I I like it, but I can't quite I can't quite get excited about it. Have you been to the the new menu? I haven't been to the new menu, yeah. so I might be missing something. I think they've I think they've changed it. I think they've reacted to some of the feedback that they've had, particularly. Um, they were a little light on vegetables, vegetarian dishes, so that's been redressed a little bit. And I think it's finding its feet. And then you've got an incredible wine list of Catalonian wines. You've got Filippo, who was ex of the French, who's one of the best sommeliers in Manchester. Front house is wonderful. It's a really cool space. I think if they can keep evolving that menu with the talent they've got in the kitchen, it's going to be quite a significant player over the next 12 months or so. Yeah, I think I'll have to give it a second chance. Do. We'll go. I'm being signal to that it's too cold, so I'm going to ask the next question. Let people talk while I turn the temperature up. Actually, before everybody starts freezing, which is a good a good thing for the day. Um, I think uh, I guess on the flip side, uh, I mean certainly today we this morning we had the news that Mark Andrews Developments, which is Hula and the Fitzgeralds and a number of other venues, um, was going down. Uh, we, over the last few weeks, we've had Rabbit in the Moon close, Artisan, Manchester House. Um, so we're certainly seeing a continuing churn, but probably with more high-profile venues going in the in the last few weeks. Um, what's behind that? Uh, is it a natural process, a uh, natural end of things for those particular venues, or um, is it something more symptomatic that we're reaching peak food and drink? That's well. Uh, you're safe to do the temperature because I can probably talk for about an hour on this. Uh, I know I can be a bit Pollyanna-ish. I always like to see the upside. Uh, you know, I run my own business and, and you, you don't set out as an entrepreneur and put your own neck on the line if you're not naturally, relentlessly uh, optimistic. But I do think in this kind of world of echo chamber, social media, um, everything has to be very, very good or very, very bad. And it gets overreported on on both fronts. If I look at the, the Manchester restaurant scene at the minute, I think it's important to benchmark. People kind of talk about what they think or... or what they feel, but it's quite it's quite useful to look at that in a, in an empirical fashion. And we do a lot of work with CGA, which are probably the biggest data and insight company for the the hospitality industry. They're actually based down the road in in Stockport. Um, the number of restaurants in in Manchester has increased by about a third in the last five years. Um, it's increased. It's probably almost doubled within the last uh, the last ten years. We've got more than twice as many restaurants as Leeds or Newcastle. Birmingham. We've got the fastest rate of growth in the entire country. Um, and I think the other important thing to note is that almost two thirds of those are Indies. We've got more independent operators than any other provincial city outside of London. 
which is a really strong and positive thing. So if you look at the fact that we've now got, according to CGA's figures, well over 600 restaurants and, and bars within the, the centre of Manchester, almost double the number of 10 years ago, then... When I see these failures, each of which is sad and affects people, the people who work there and the people who've invested and the people who supply it. But when I look at the numbers, I think in absolute terms, is that churn any different, any worse than it was 10 years ago? If for the sake of argument, and I am making figures up now, if for the sake of argument there's 5% churn every year and 25% of restaurants might be struggling at any given point, We've got twice the restaurant scene now. So we're going to have twice the restaurant of closures, even just to be keeping pace. Restaurants are under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress at the minute, but I don't see numbers that make me think there's going to be some mass extinction event, sadly. I just see operators or I see operations where they can't or they can't do what the owners need them to do or want them to do. And that's when restaurants shut. And I think there's very specific cases for all of the failures we've seen recently from local operators and from London operators. And we shouldn't panic ourselves into believing it's some kind of meteorite style mass extinction. Yeah, I think, I guess, uh, unlike perhaps with retail, where we're seeing what is actually quite a systemic change, albeit it's not affecting Manchester as much as it is smaller towns, is not necessarily symptomatic of that type of major, exactly sh- major, major shift. But also I think there is a tendency, I'm going to do that, it's the media's fault thing, uh, which is an ex-journalist I shouldn't do, um, but we do focus on the failures rather than the successes an awful lot of the time. Well, so, we need, we need so, a story. Certainly, certainly in retail we've seen headlines, obviously Kendall's potentially closing is, is a huge thing but the fact that the same week four different re- yeah. retailers opened in the city isn't going to get the same priority yeah, and I think I'm, that's the same with the re- I mean we, we mustn't lose track of the fact that there will be a bust and then a boom and then a bust and then a boom because that's kind of the way that capitalist society is so you do find these a jolly good thing too. and jolly good thing too you do find these people who who when it all goes terribly wrong hold up their hands and say I was saying that I told you it's going to happen and then if you look back you realise they've been saying it's going to happen every day for about the last 10 years you know it's the stock clock syndrome so i don't doubt for one minute we'll have a down and an up and a down and an up but as you say i don't think that's a systemic change or a systemic weakness in terms of people's appetite for food and drink and leisure and hospitality in manchester and i think the underlying trend is going to keep going up uh, albeit there might be some pain along the way and, and i guess one of the good things if there are good things all of these places employ a number of people some of them actually quite a large number of people but given the growth in the in the sector within the city it isn't like certain other sectors where those people aren't going to get jobs because at the moment we have a huge net demand. There is a shortage of experienced staff. They will get snapped up. Good people will get snapped up in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is really interesting. I mean, I can only really talk as a consumer because that's what I do. I'm not I'm not an industry analyst. Especially on Friday nights. Especially on Friday nights when I'm a big consumer. You um, prop up the Manchester do, food and drink yeah, economy yeah, single-handedly. Single-handedly. Um, but I think it's interesting that you talk about, you know, how there's, there's actually more restaurants here now than there were, let's say, 10 years ago. And also that you talk about the fact that we've got a lot more independence because from as a consumer, I think that these changes, particularly the places that have closed, have closed because in my mind just as a customer they weren't paying attention to the kind of a slightly new trend as a customer where you're looking for both kind of you're not just looking for fancy food or a beer you're looking for another factor as well which might be creative brilliance it might be an ethical sensibility to the cooking so for example you see places like where the light gets in thriving but Manchester House failing so you've got these two kind of like different you know I think there's another thing that people are looking for and I think that if you want to succeed 
to my mind, in the future in the business, you need to be paying attention to the kind of heart and soul of people as well as to their their palate. I think there's a long-running joke as we both run the only successful restaurant in the Airbus building, Tom. Um, that one of the comments that we always made was um, consumers actually, given that both we've lost Manchester House and we've, and we've lost Rabbit in the Moon, which are both up in the sky, um, consumers don't like um, restaurants where they can't actually see in. It's a fundamental thing. There, there is a real difficult <laughs> issue with that. There, there, there is, a, there is a, a reason that the vast majority of restaurants are on ground floors. It's not that you can't work in the top of a building, as 20 stories are proving, but it makes life harder. You know, it's another pressure to put up on the business. There is, um, th- there is another point as well. I think when we talk about supply and demand or, or oversupply or whether Manchester has reached restaurant saturation, one of the things that frustrates me about it a little bit is, A, it seems to assume that there's a static endpoint that we will reach where that's it and we're full. And it's not. It's a, it's a dynamic and, and movable feast, for want of a better term. And I think the other thing is that we focus on the restaurants. We focus on the number of restaurants all the time. Whereas for me, everything starts with the audience. The more interesting thing to look at is, is the number of diners and the potential growth in the numbers of diners. Um, and because I'm a stats geek, and I, look, I like looking at numbers. Um, I ran some numbers just on the train on the way here, in here because I had nothing, uh, nothing better to do in my time. And it's quite instructive, really, because otherwise people just start to, talking about what they think and what they suspect and what they feel. And I always think, well, let's look at the numbers. So there was a report came out quite recently, says there's 60,000 people now living in the city centre. But in the next five years, that's going to grow by another 20,000 people. Now, no one or everyone who moves to the city centre tends to have pretty good jobs and they like eating out, they like going out. That's why they live in the city centre. So if you look at something like CGA's figures, eating out four times a week for a population like that is probably not unrealistic. If we gain 20,000 city centre dwellers over the next five years, you've suddenly got an extra 80,000 meals there, purely in city centre people. Uh, In fact, I've just checked my figures, I'm not checking my own figures, 30,000 people. So you've got 120k extra meals from city centre dwellers in the next five years. The other thing I had a look at was uh, the growth in the region generally. They reckon there'll be, uh, again, I'll check my figures, 50,000 more people in the city region. So there you could have another 200,000 meals per week. Overseas journalists, uh, overseas tourism, sorry, is up to 1.3 million, growing at 10% a year. This is visit Britain's figures for Manchester, one of the few cities in the UK that's growing. People like Birmingham had no growth in international tourism. We're going up 10% a year. If that carries on for the next five years, that's another 8,000 visits. That's 15K per week. If they eat out on average six times, because tourists have nowhere to cook at home, they eat out all the time, that's an extra 90,000 meals. If you add in business tourism, if you add in UK tourism, I think over the next five years, we could have an extra 500,000 meals per week. At 20 quid per meal, you're talking about 10 million quid a week extra in the next five years. That would prop up 200 restaurants turning over 50 grand a week, new restaurants. We've only added 200 in the last five years. So, All of that great statistical ramble is just to prove the point that if you actually break it down analytically, instead of just going, oh, we'll be fine, or instead of just going, there are too many restaurants, if you actually look at it, I think the growth in Manchester, and it is a bit of a one-off, not every city is doing this, but I think the growth in Manchester is pretty certain, and we will need more restaurants to uh, to, to feed those people. It's indisputable. I guess the one question, uh, I'd I'd 
question some more the, uh, the original statistic of how many people currently live in the city centre but it's, it depends on your definition of the city centre and I, and I want that's the office of nat national uh, statistics yeah I know, but it depends on the definition of the city centre uh, a wider um, city centre so you'd increase uh, you'd include Ancoats um, and Southern Gateway uh, and, I, and I want somebody to slowly listen to that and then work their way through <laughs> every single calculation that you made. I think one of the interesting things, which is just by the by, however, is we're still, for that large number of people that are living in the city centre, the massive increasing number of people living in the centre, city centre is, what we're not seeing is anywhere near a matching growth in food suppliers, your traditional, your borough market type supply. We've got one butcher, two butchers maybe in the city centre, um, fairly a fairly small number of bakers and so on. Um, now I get the argument that people are eating out, and obviously that's the reason why Deliveroo and Uber Eats are also being really successful. And we're having to look at flat uh, design of flat blocks so you can deliver straight into the building and go straight up in a old old style waiter's lift to get to get food there. But why aren't we seeing that sort of that growth in um, those other ancillary services as well? I just well, will we? I, I, I think we probably will. Uh, we've got more butchers in the city centre now than we had five years ago, you know, at which point there was almost none. Uh, places like Butcher's Quarter have opened, which is which is fantastic. Um, but I think maybe it's a generational thing. You know, most of the people moving into the city centre, not all of them, but most of them are in their 20s and 30s. I think these people just shop online and then it leaves them more time to go out and eat in all the restaurants and drink at all the bars and go to Yes with Ruth. Uh, well, I think, I think that is a point. But I also think that if you look at pollen, for example, selling out of um, bread every single Saturday and every single Sunday and every day of the week as far as I can tell I would I personally would go out of my office at lunchtime and buy good quality meat and good quality bread if it was available to me and I just think there isn't enough I think Vaughan's right there's I don't know why those services aren't there um, it could be a cultural thing but I actually think that there's a market for it and that that could be a new direction um, yeah I'd love to see more I, of that I guess it's one of those issues at the moment people think opening a coffee bar will be the obvious thing to do if you're in Ancoats opening a casual but interesting food place is the thing to do taking that risk on well, the butchers particularly would be. Yeah. I mean actually a good greengrocer somebody no, no, who's no, doing what? organic veg in the city centre you'd think would do a bomb wouldn't but, you? But I mean if you look at the ones that already exist like pollen like unicorn and so on and so forth they are just sold out they're rammed there's people queuing outside when they're open so there's a market I think I think it's a great idea. Business idea City Co's future business plan will be sorted around that. Um we talked a lot about the city centre. I think one of the other things that we, we talked about, certainly at the last um, time we talked, uh, and over the year, has been, has been the growth in really successful places, both in, the, in awards and presumably business-wise, in some of the more outlying areas of Manchester. Um, Altrincham, Stockport, it looks like it's been doing really well, which is interesting because Stockport's reputation is always is not always particularly positive. And you're working in Urmston as well, which... Uh, for me as a Yorkshire lad is only a Victoria Wood joke and nothing else. Um, what? Why has that happened? Why are we starting to see so many interesting and successful places in... And I, and I know that Ruth has written essays on Stockport, so we're all now looking to her to, for the dissertation at this point. Tiny, well tiny, tiny essays. It's, a it's, it's an eight-point essay. Um, Okay, well, yeah, I think it's a great it's a great question. Why are they doing so well? I, so I have just written a guide to Stockport for Stockport Council, um, which was produced by Creative Concern, and I had to go and interview loads of new shopkeepers and bar keep, bar owners and restaurant owners, and I had to pick seven up and coming places to kind of profile. Um, the aim of the project was to kind of tell young professionals about the area and perhaps attract more of them to the area. Um, 
it was incredibly easy to do this. It was just so exciting. I walked around the old town, came across loads of exciting businesses. And just naming a few names, there's a new bar from Mobley Brewery, which is called Project 53, um, where the light gets in, which is an established ethical restaurant, hugely loved by national food critics, has just opened its own natural wine bar in their staff room, which is just going to be open. So you just go and sit in their staff room, choose the wine from the cellar and drink natural wines. uh, In Stockport. In Stockport. Amazing. With beautiful views over all the kind of old town. And it's just so historic and Victorian. And basically I fell in love with Stockport when I went there. I'd never really spent a lot of time walking around the streets and enjoying it. So I interviewed all of the people, uh, seven, seven shopkeepers and barkeepers and so on, about why Stockport was on the rise. And the results are as follows. There are available premises. That's why people are moving out to the suburbs that are reasonably priced. So there's space and it's not hugely expensive. There's a massive lack of competition in Stockport. There's also low footfall, but there's all there's just like one cafe to go to at lunchtime. You know, there's there's so little there. There's lots that of you've people got a in the catchment. audience. They might not be creating the footfall at the minute, but they're not that far away if you give them a reason to to come to the the town centre of an evening. Exactly. So basically, a lot of them said that lots of young professionals were moving to places around Stockport, like Edgeley, and also into Stockport City Centre as well. Is kind of coming up at the minute, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it just seems like an area that's really on the rise. Um, And basically, the other thing that's pulling businesses to these areas is the growing reputation of the existing businesses that are there. For example, you know, you've got um, Volta in Didsbury, um, where the light gets in, which I've mentioned before, in um, Stockport. So so you've got this kind of, and Foodie Fridays, you've got these draws, and that kind of creates a kind of snowball effect. And I just think that people also just want to, they don't want to go back into the city centre when they go home. If they've moved out, they want to stay out, and they just want to go to their local place and support it. And I think it's, I think it's positive i think i think it is positive and uh, i agree um and i, I think it's it's a, a natural part of of manchester's restaurant scene maturing really and, and and the numbers reflecting that you don't expect sparky little startup indies to go and open a restaurant in mayfair or marlebone or soho in london and in the same way, it, it might become the case for better or worse, but it's just the way it is that you don't find little chancy sparky startup indies opening on king street or in the prime centre of the the city. And I think that's fine. That's not a bad thing. That's not going to snuff out that creativity and that entrepreneurism and that talent that you see in Manchester. It's just going to get pushed out to other areas. And that includes places like Stockport and also uh, Ermston, where I'm doing a project to create a new build market hall, which has has got a huge amount of um, interest. And these are all areas with great demographics, good transport links, historically a lack of good venues and and that's that kind of lag or that that latent demand is now sorting itself out but the other thing that i find really interesting in manchester at the minute is uh is the subject of herbs which is a horrible torturous portmanteau which i'm determined to turn into an actual thing it's urban suburbs it's the neighborhood the residential led neighborhoods which are cropping up around the periphery of the city center so ancoats is the classic example and you know ancoats has kind of already already boomed and the prices are reflecting that but if you look at areas like chapel street going out into salford there is so much potential around there. The amount of resi going in is huge. You've got the university right there as well. Um, there's lots of old buildings, lots of potential. Uh, you've got Vera Moderno out there. You've got the new Oxford pub. But then Porter are opening a tapas restaurant in an old bank just on Bexley Square. 
massive, massive opportunity for entrepreneurs. Um, and that residential-led audience on the edge of the city centre almost gives it quite a suburban feeling, especially in the evenings and uh, at the weekends. And I, I think these areas, also the southern quarter, going back to your your escapades, that yes, I think that area around the university and the BBC is really interesting as well. The refuge is down there. Yes has now opened. Brumwood are doing fantastic things with Hatch. I've heard there's a couple of other really interesting operators who are going to be opening in, in that area as well. You've got Gorilla. I just think it's around the edges of the city in a way that the most interesting and and changing things are happening. And that really reflects rent and rates it's, as much it's as It's the else. natural reality and, of rent. And it does occur two days after the budget that the the um, one of the positive measures for the high street that came through is actually in Manchester and environs going to affect restaurants far more than it's going to affect retailers, which is the cut, it, cut yeah. for... Uh, uh, Businesses that have rates under 51,000, it's not going to affect retail, certainly in the city centre, bar the tiniest of shops, but it probably will affect F&B in the city centre because they're rated at a lower level and it certainly will affect F&B around around the city as well, which means it's less risky to to get that start up if you know that one of your core costs has just been cut by a third to a half. Yeah, no, it's a big thing. Um, we have in the past three weeks, I think, is it three weeks, four weeks? Uh, we've always said we're going to ignore do it, talking about Michelin, so we will now talk about Michelin. Uh, Damn and, it. and other lists, because uh, there have been some other lists out and about, haven't there? Oh, yeah, they have. They have, <laughs> which, which some of the people around the table have been involved with. Um, Michelin again avoided Manchester. Um, are we just assuming at this point that it's now just become a fun thing for the Michelin guides to sit there and go, well, obviously we're not doing anything about Manchester. Do you know what? I think it was... Uh, Is it trolling by it, a Manchester guy? One of the national uh, restaurant critics, I think it was Marina O'Loughlin, actually referred to it as Michelin trolling Manchester, um, which, it, which it does feel a little bit like, um, without wanting to, to recap it too much. Two of the main guides put the French in the top 20 restaurants in the UK. Michelin can't find a space for it and they give stars out to about 190 restaurants around the UK. So it does look a bit incongruous and a bit odd. How many have we got that have got four four rosettes and above now? Uh, I think the French possibly is the only one that's yeah. got four AA rosettes. But usually at about three rosette level, you start to be thinking about stars. Exactly. You? And it's got it's got four. Uh, an eight out of ten in the Good Food Guide. I don't think you'd find another place with an eight in the whole of the UK in the Good Food Guide, which doesn't have a Michelin star. It's, uh, and, in- and many eights have two. It, and many eights have two. So yeah. it's incongruous, to say the least. Um, but are there better lists, Bruce? Are there I better? think there probably are. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us. Yeah, well, so Manchester Confidential finally published a list that I had been working on with them for five years, which is the top 100 restaurants in the either north or northwest. No one seems to know if that's the actual definition. Yeah, I, I made a few arch comments about why, why are we including from here and not from here. But yeah. Um, the, the list got more sketchy the further east you went, I think. Didn't yeah. Uh, well, the, the list was put together by a committee and a panel and I just kind of edited the entries and worked on the different items. I didn't have in any way a say over what actually went into the list. Imagine, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so that list came out as well. I, I mean, I, I think lists, they just, they draw attention to things, don't they? Um, or, or a lack of things and when we when when I saw this question about the Michelin star I just thought oh god I just can't I just can't face going there but I do think maybe it's worth thinking about I mean I just thought you know maybe Manchester is post star you know we're so far beyond the star that we don't need we don't need those accolades anymore but maybe we just don't have the kind of that there was kind of like two two elements that I thought would probably make a star possible, which was affordable space and a reliable market. So you need either a affordable space 
or a reliable market or preferably both. And perhaps we just don't have those kind of the affordable affordability to allow someone to experiment and the reliable market who are willing to spend hundreds of pounds on a meal. I don't think we have those two things at the same time in Manchester. So perhaps... See, I would disagree. Well, I, yeah, I, would, disagree. I would say that we easily have the audience without a shadow of a doubt. I just don't know. because who, it, But who's willing to go out and spend that at lunchtime every day, day in, day out? I just don't think we be, have it. It doesn't have to be lunchtime. You know, it, looking at where the light gets in, I don't think that's busy at lunch. It doesn't open but, at lunch. But where the light gets in is a destination restaurant that doesn't have massive overheads, and that's why they're thriving. It, but that's my point. That could win a Michelin star. It and could, I, yeah, it yeah, could. And I don't and think anyone would be surprised because the food is certainly good enough. So that would just unpick that or, that argument. And to give you another example, if you speak to someone like Mark at, at Moore Hall, which has just got its second Michelin star and is an absolute class act, he will tell you that two-thirds of his business comes from Manchester. So Mancunians are keeping his two-star going outside Ormskirk. I, I, I'm interested in Moorhall, Moore actually, not having been oh, yet, but having eaten at brilliant, North, brilliant. Northcote on many occasions, um, certainly the, the average clientele at Northcote, well, obviously I wouldn't be bring the age down now, but when I started eating at it at, at 30, I was bringing the age down substantially. It was the classic, very rich couples and meeting friends um, who probably ate there once a month, I would think. It was their regular good good place to eat it's, is more hall sort it, of the same no it's and, and 20 younger. 30 years ago would have been eating at a country house hotel that was the it's, equivalent it's, it's younger and more varied it's very similar actually to long Clume, uh to be honest where when i the last time i was up at long Clume, there's a real mix of people there was a, an older tweedier audience which i refuse to believe i'm part of yet um and then Nothing there was kind of tweed yeah and then there was kind of hipsters with you know big beards and tattoo sleeves and all the rest of it so I'll it, go with the tweed if it was uh, it was a real balance of people and more hall kind of had that feel as well which i which I thought was quite nice. Yeah, um, th that was definitely my experience. But when I went to the Chester Grosvenor, I went, I, I went with Mark Garner, who is, I'd say, I don't know, no one knows his real age, but he might be about 63. Uh, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's very precise. And, and uh, he was like, I'm looking like a young man here. And I was like, you certainly are. Brilliant. <laughs> Everyone was at least a, a lot older and a lot more, yeah, that, that older audience definitely. the other interesting thing about about guides and i include um national reviews in here as well there's been a couple of conversations on twitter started by people in the in the restaurant industry or the restaurant media in london the most recent one being uh tim hayward who does reviews for the financial times it's a fantastic guy knows the industry inside out but he was floating the hypothesis that things like TripAdvisor and reviews and guides and awards are actually having less and less and less impact now it might be true for London, possibly, but everything I see outside of London, right across the north, including Manchester, is, is entirely the opposite. And if you speak to people who've had national reviews, like Stozy Maddy up at Parker's Arms, even like the guys at Marais over in Liverpool, uh, Yuzu is another one where the light gets in, is incredible. They did like 1,200 covers of bookings within a week of Marina's review in The Guardian. It has a massive impact. These guides and these reviews really help out those indies, the people who deserve it, the fantastic operations which are doing great things that don't have the marketing budget ever to make any real impact on the, by, off their own kind of footing. They just put their heads down and they work and they try and deliver. And guides and critics still influence audiences in the north of England hugely. And they change businesses, they change people's lives. Yeah, I, I've just been to the Cartford Inn this weekend, um, which I went to off the back of seeing it in another guide. Um, it was ju just one that popped up and I was like, oh, that looks really exciting. And uh, so I went there, checked it out and 
put it on Instagram and realized that loads of my friends liked it and had been following it for years, but because it hadn't got any recognition prior to this previous guide, um, no one really knew about it and it hadn't got this kind of snowball effect. So it, it makes has, you it part has, of the conversation, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it just people just go, oh, I'm going to be near there. I'll just, even if it's an hour out of my way, I'll drop in. It just gives people a kind of like a, a def, like a way of navigating their way around yeah. the country. And I think, well, you know, guides have positives and negatives. Generally, they're positive. Yeah, I think so. And, and there are some places that actually, well, they don't become victims of their own success, but actually they get so successful, they probably don't have room for re reviewers anymore, never mind um, Instagrammers. I know hmm. the Black Swan Old State, which is now booking for March next year, being a restaurant with rooms, which wasn't on that list, um, you just can't get in. So, I'm, you know, they're at such a point of success, in quotes, that I would actually think that probably the number of Instagrammers that are using it is has dropped massively because they don't have quite the same buzz about it, but they don't need it at that, at that point. Um, I do wonder sometimes, though, with the, going back to the Michelin thing, in that certainly in London and Edinburgh to, to some extent and certain other big cities, there's a more willingness to give a star to an interesting operation or something from a, uh, you know, a, a minority ethnic food background. Whereas you look at Birmingham stars, I'd say pretty well, I mean, I mean eating three of them, they're pretty well, they're not quite the same menu, but they're very, very much the same style. And you'd say very traditional Michelin yeah. white linen cloth and so on and I just wonder whether there's that 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 sort of fear of well you haven't got your traditional Michelin restaurant and we're not going to go off on a lamp and, and give it to something like Canto which I is think, a bit odd or I think Michelin get a bit scattergun once they move beyond their core strengths of kind of French influenced classicism very western dining uh, it can sometimes feel a bit tokenistic which is which is not a good thing at all um, but you know that's uh, that's Michelin they're a, an enigma and there are enough complaints about the New York one as well. I've wandered into one of those conversations recently. Um, we talked about this year. We're nearly at Christmas. What, what are you looking forward to next year? There's a good question. There's a, there's a couple of things, actually, for me. Um, there's a couple of individual restaurants I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to Dishoom just because it's brilliant. Uh, we're very lucky. We already have some fantastic uh, kind of Indian restaurant operators in the city. Bundabust, one of my favourite places in the world ever. Yeah, Indian Dil Tiffany Dilshu Room. In invites went out yesterday, I think, didn't they? Uh, is that before? right? Yeah. There you go. Uh, Indian Tiffany Room is fantastic as well. Mowgli's great. But I think Dishoom is going to be a big hit. It's in a useful end of town. If you're around that Deansgate, Spinning Fields uh, kind of district and you want Indian food, then that would be the place to go. Um, I think Bistratech as well. The guys behind Bistratech uh, are opening in the bottom of London Warehouse on Juicy Street. The place they've got out in Hackney is fantastic. They know the London market inside out and they're brilliant at it. But the two guys behind it are actually northerners, one from Huddersfield, one from Halifax. They're really excited about coming back to do something up north. And I think it's going to be quite different and quite brilliant, very, very accessible. Uh, I'm looking forward to Porter opening their uh, Spanish tapas place just on Chapel Street, the aforementioned up and coming area. And I'm delighted because I, I adore Middle Eastern food, Middle Eastern cooking, that kind of um, everything from the, the Maghreb around the, the Middle East is just my favourite cuisine, really. And there's a rumour of two Middle Eastern places opening in Manchester in the next six months to 12 months, which will be great. I'll be in there on a regular basis. Cool. 
Has yeah. he left you anyway? Really? He said, well, I, the only one I'm thinking of is Carla, um, which is the new Carla. one from uh, Elite Bistros. Elite Bistros, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I reviewed Sticky Walnut when it was the first of Gary Asher's restaurant group, um, and I loved it. And then Marina O'Loughlin reviewed it after I did. I'd like to think that she was inspired to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I just think he does really great quality bistro food. And to be able to have access to that without having to go out to Didsbury, where his yeah. current restaurant is, um, that would be really nice just to be able to pop in and have a beautiful piece of steak with some fat chips and know that it's going to be great every single time. Um, Richard Sharples is their executive chef and he used to work with Mary Ellen. He's a great chef. I'm just looking forward to be able to have that food on the doorstep. It's an interesting thing, actually, because um, Sugo, going against everything we said before, or actually maybe taking it a step further, these places prove themselves in the suburbs where the risk is low and they can build their operation. And then they actually come into the city centre. So Gary's done that. He's coming into Manchester city centre after largely being in suburbs. That's what Sugo have done as well. They cut their teeth in Altrincham and, and now they're in Ancoats. Allotment is coming in from Stockport and they're opening this week, I think, on Lloyd Street, just near the town hall as well. I'm really looking forward to it. I love allotment. So I'm Fantastic. Yeah, he's, uh, I think Grace Dent called him uh, the, the finest vegan chef in the UK today, which is uh, high praise indeed. And um, Grace knows her way around vegan cooking. Um, but I think that's quite interesting, really, that the suburbs of the city are acting as an incubator for these great operators to to away from the glare of the city centre and without the financial risk, make a few mistakes, do some things right, build a brand, build a business, and then they can come back into the city and take the nationals on. That's that, great. Yeah, that's true. There's there's one other area that we haven't mentioned, actually, which is the great northern area where we've got, I think it's Platsky and either Ty Smiles. Smiles. I, I think it might have changed Oh, it might have it. tweaked its name now. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be called Ty Smiles. So those two, are, you know, again, that's working as a kind of low-cost incubator for small restaurants that probably couldn't, well, definitely couldn't afford really high rents on somewhere like King Street. Um, so it's great that that's there. And there's actually Dormouse Chocolates have just opened there as well. I, I need to go. Chocolate, nice. And with that, we'll leave it for this time. Thanks to our guests, uh, to our friends at the Malmaison for hosting us and to the boys at Salford's Blueprint Studios for editing the final track. If you have any comments, speak to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR and we're available on all good podcast services. Give us a review if you have a moment. Mm-hmm.